Welcome to the Farmers Weekly Podcast. This episode recorded on Friday the 12th of August 2022. From the Farmers Weekly News Desk, I'm Johan Tasker. And I'm Hugh Broom. As drought is declared across central and southern England, what's the full impact on the livestock sector and when should you drill your oilseed rape? On the markets, just how low will it go? Low protein wheat and where to sell it? We've the latest ringside from Skipton Mart. How bad will the New Zealand trade deal be for UK farmers? We speak to the experts who've been working it out. And we meet the farmers helping firefighters put out field fires. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. But first, months without rain across the south of England has left farmers with parched fields where there should be grass, forcing livestock producers to start feeding winter forage. Lack of water has seen drought declared in Devon and Cornwall, the southeast, East Anglia and the East Midlands. Cornish beef and sheep farmer Rob Halliday. Well, we've basically run out of fodder for stock. Um, We've brought 80 of our young stock in so far where we've grazed we've just had very poor regrowth and and things are you know have got to a point where we've just had to house some to to keep them moving really quite literally then eating into winter rations even though it's only mid-august we are um fortunately we made about 100 tons more silage and we'll probably need over the winter and the view was that either they stand and idle now uh, and they'll still be here in the winter and we'll feed that anyway um, or we have to uh, take a bit of a chance and get get them fed now and hope that we can you know see see more cattle off earlier in the autumn than we might possibly do in a normal year. So the, the ones that are in, they're on TMR, um, they're on red clover silage. Um, we're introducing some stock feed potatoes. Uh, they're having a small amount of barley, a bit of straw, and, and we will be adding some molasses as well, but we're just building it up slowly. We've only started about three or four days ago, so um started on straight silage and just sort of adding components into the ration bit by bit try not to give them too much of a too much of a shock having uh, changed the ration and potatoes aren't something we fed for um but obviously there's quite a lot of potatoes now being dug that are either poor skin finish or haven't met size specs so given that we're in quite a big potato growing area uh, it seems like quite a quite an obvious choice for us to try and improve the energy in the ration you're not panicking yet then, more a case of uh, keeping calm and carrying on farming. Yeah, I, th- I think that's all we can do. I think the main thing, I find myself starting to panic and actually it's not going to achieve anything. We've got to, you know, proactively manage the situation. Um, it's, it's easy just to sit there and, and work yourself up into a right frenzy about it. But ultimately, all that does is waste time when you should be getting on and trying to make some proactive moves to actually sort things out. So hopefully that's what we've done. That's Rob Halliday. And many farmers find themselves in exactly that situation. So what are the options? Livestock nutritionalist, Heaven Richards. Well, I think the first thing is to have a good assessment of what they have got and what they're likely to get, um, obviously, with crops that are still in the ground. Uh, it's, it's a very variable situation around the country and obviously between farms. So there are some very sort of short-term issues i.e you know where they've got no grazing at the moment and that's got to be addressed but then for others the issue perhaps is more heading into next year uh, in terms of forage stocks that they'll have going into next summer and beyond so you know obviously maize is a pretty big contributor and uh, in fairness i'd say that the variability of the maize crops is, is is greater than i've ever seen and i think you know it's important to be realistic about yield projections on that and then look at what options are available you know for some that might be they're going to have to look for something short term looking at things like what what they're going to feed young stock on i mean there's always the option of using hay or straw plus concentrate for young stock that's usually the the first port of call for many 
uh, which is you know means that forage can be targeted at milking stock and more productive animals. But then, like I say, for others, it'll be more of an issue heading into next summer uh, with what they've got in terms of conserved forage. So, you know, it might be a matter of looking at um, putting in you know um, short-term ryegrass lays this autumn with a view of getting an early cut um, to try and boost stocks into next spring. As always, then, it's about thinking ahead and uh, crunching numbers sooner rather than later. Yeah, totally. It's about thinking ahead, uh, certainly in terms of stock numbers then, you know, not carrying passengers. We sort of say this, you know, look, it might be a matter of, you know, reducing herd size slightly over the winter, you know, taking away that bottom end a little bit sooner than planned, perhaps. Um, again, you know, in some cases, people are carrying quite a bit more young stock than they perhaps really need. So it's looking at ways of perhaps just taking the pressure off those numbers by selling some on, subject to being able to do that with TB restrictions. Heaven Richards, Beth Parry, dairy specialist with Wednesday, has some useful advice about heat stress. Cows actually tend to group together and stand up when they are hot. It doesn't actually help heat abatement at all for that cow standing in a group of other hot cows, but it's what they tend to do. So that's one thing we can find is grouping together of cows and obviously their increased standing, less lying time. So that has an impact on their feet and milk production. So um, we can see knock on effects of lameness and milk production you know, would drop really um, with reduced lying time. Like you say, this is all going to have an impact on productivity, on fertility as well. What can farmers do about it? There's various different management techniques, I suppose, really, that will help kind of in the short term. Longer term, I would definitely look at kind of ventilation and stocking rates. So, um, yeah, reduce stocking rates, particularly in collecting yards um, during milking time. Um, If you can kind of split the cows into smaller groups or ensure that they're in the collecting yard for less amount of time. And one thing that's often kind of not really looked at all the time, especially when we've got hot weather, is water availability. A cow's water intake will increase drastically during hot weather. So a cow's, you know, already probably taking in about 100 litres of water a day. That'll increase significantly. So making sure that there's enough water for the cows to be able to cool themselves and and cope with that, um, you know, sweating and excess saliva production is really important. So making sure there's plenty of water, plenty of ventilation. And then there's obviously little things that we can do to help stimulate dry matter intakes because that's something that is also a sign of kind of heat stress, a bit of a knock-on effect as dry matter intakes will drop. So if cows are out at grass grazing and having a buffer feed, definitely offering that in the yeah cooler hours of the day because effectively they're coming into a shed to feed where they're all going to get quite hot together. Um, so offering that... Um, so that they can, you know, cool down and, and get their energy intake. And that's really important um, in dry cows pre-carving to not let it drop too much. And, and obviously in your milkers too. That's Beth Parry from Wednesday. So Hugh, much grass where you are? Absolutely no grass at all. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's just burnt off to a crisp. As I've said before on the podcast, we've had this before. 2018 was a good example for us, particularly in the cross great chunks of the south of the UK. Big drought. Uh, people start to start buffer feeding middle end of June. It, yeah, it's worse because then it started raining probably a little bit earlier, probably started raining beginning of August. Fingers crossed it might break next week and that would be a huge, huge relief. But at the moment, there's a lot of very worried people right across the south of the UK with livestock who, you know, as you identified in your piece, there is potentially not enough forage to go through into the uh, winter. The message seems to be don't panic just yet. Do what you can. Be proactive. 
It is absolutely about being proactive, isn't it? As you've heard in the audio, it's about being on top of your game in terms of knowing what is available now, what is likely or if anything else is likely to come in between now and the end of the growing season. It amazes me with forage, the number of people you speak to and they don't analyse that much or great chunks or in some cases they don't analyse at all their forage. Um, Clearly by analysing your forage, you know exactly how much you've got in the stack or in the clamp. And, and you think about it, you know, people that uh, say, oh, we need a thousand bales to get us through a winter. Well, that's fair enough. But actually, they then never really analyse those bales. You might actually find if you analyse them, they're better than you think. And you might actually need 800, in which case you've got 200 bonus, depending on what, obviously what you're running through uh, that winter. So it's really important to be on that. The hope that we might get some rain next week, that's on the radar at the moment, although it doesn't look like a massive amount. It looks more stormy as opposed to good prolonged rain, which is what we need uh, for a week or two really to kick stuff on. Where we had it in the past, 2018, we had a real autumn strong autumn flush of grass which was phenomenal and was a real fill up after what was a dire year in terms of the earlier part of the season however with that late burst of forage there comes a bit of a quality uh, penalty as it were it's never always the most nutritious grass but hey in today's uh, (laughs) current climate anything is better than nothing and uh, make sure that you're not carrying, well, excess young stock, I guess, and uh, and cut out the uh, bottom end of the herd if, it, if it's worthwhile to do so. You absolutely want to be stringent when it comes to culling, uh, given the limited resources. And a lot of people have been doing that already. We saw that again in the 2018 drought. We saw that with dairy herds where they culled really hard. You also ask yourself the question, well, if, you dry, if you're culling like that when it's so dry, why do you cull differently when it's raining and just get on with it and replace it with something that's more efficient? You know, it's a, but anyway, yes, people want to reduce numbers where possible if animals aren't productive to, I suppose, help to limit their exposure to lack of forage. The one thing that worries me about this for uh, sort of drought as well is that the areas affected, whilst in the south we've had, you know, we've had dry spells, we get dry spells regularly, obviously not to the extreme that we've got now. What is worrying is some of the far areas that are affected by the drought this year are places where this drought doesn't happen to the to the extreme that it is now and and these people are likely or potentially likely to be caught more unawares particularly some of the smaller farms uh than than places in the south where we used to these regular dry spells so trying to manage what forage you have almost becomes a sort of second nature another sting in the tail as well whilst it may be fantastic that we might get a bit of rain next week uh, all this talking about it probably won't make it happen but let's hope it does and i was caught out by this once is obviously the worm burden has effectively and i'm thinking particularly in sheep here but it's equally as applicable in cattle but the worm burden has effectively evaporated away in this heat nothing is is sort of cycling much and then as soon as you get some rain i remember we had some draft black faced sheep i mean it was the perfect storm some draft black faced sheep which we ran down came down for the north phenomenal sheep uh, and we were crossbreeding them and suddenly i could understand why you know we lost a few sheep after it had rained it had been a long 
dry spell. We lost a few sheep uh, and it turned out it was homunculus. And of course, you get these dry spells where nothing happens. Now, in that particular case, those sheep had no exposure to homunculus at all because they're from up on the hill. Um, and it absolutely mullered them because, of course, the worms just go mad reproducing and suddenly the worm burden goes off the Richter scale. So it's yet another thing to be mindful of uh, if and when uh, we get some, some good rain and what is going to be some really parched soil. Let's hope it is indeed some good rain. And looking further ahead beyond this winter, looking to next year, it's about getting stuff bang on there in terms of, uh, in terms of what you're drilling. Yeah, look, it's worrying as well because you know we've got grass reseeds to do. <laughs> There's no way if we are. if we put a plough in the ground now, it's just going to be a dust bowl. It's a complete waste of time. Um, so grass reseeds, assuming ha ha, and again I'm back down on my knees on the floor praying it starts to rain next week and we get some break in the weather, we might start to see some movement there. We'll probably get away with getting grass in in September. We've done it before and got away with murder, uh, but it's still worrying because you know we've got reseeds to get in to keep the grass going to the full you know getting the full potential yield so it's it's a case of planning that and then of course you've then got the headache of <laughs> dare i say it thinking about fertilizer purchase if you haven't thought already it's thinking ahead into next year it is absolutely about the planning going forward have you started thinking about next year's harvest yet now could be the right time if you want the best return on investment and the best quality output, you need to act fast to secure this very special offer from Massey Ferguson. Designed solely with your business in mind, choose from our large range of grass equipment, including rakes, mowers and tedders, small round and large square balers, and our game-changing lineup of conventional straw walker and hybrid separation combine harvesters. The faster you move, the better the offer, with up to 10% off on 2023 delivered machines and equipment, with 0% finance available. Speak to your local MF dealer today or visit masseyferguson.co.uk for more details. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. Now, arable farmers as well as livestock producers are feeling the full impact of the drought. Grower Tim Young of Grange Farm Norfolk is giving away onions to anyone who wants to collect them from the field after two acres of his crop failed to meet storage specifications. I've heard of gleaning before and we talked about it in our grower group but never really had done it because normally it was going to be a small amount of onions that had just been left after the harvester um, across a large area whereas this is quite a concentrated two acres it's a specific area in a field I thought that we're actually not doing very much other farming at the moment because it's so hot and dry uh, we're not trying to get that field into another crop but um, it was a perfect opportunity really and and uh, I've I've done it um on the basis that i'll see how it goes um uh, there was a good response on twitter and uh, facebook yesterday and uh, there have been a few people come and pick pick some uh, but we're we're expecting some more to happen over the weekend really um there's a couple of weeks for them to do it and as long as everyone's sort of uh, well behaved and 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 just goes and picks up the onions they want and, and then then leaves then I'm, I'm very happy for them to do that onion grower tim young Elsewhere in East Anglia, the drought has left oilseed rape growers praying for rain rather than planting crops into dusty soils. Mike Wilton, farm manager at the Stody Estate, about six miles from Holt in North Norfolk, has had just 29% of his average annual expected rainfall. He says patience is a virtue. My grandmother always told me that and how right she was. 
we plan to grow between 250 and 300 hectares of orchid rape. So it's, it's a very important crop to us. So not establishing any is, is not a, a place we are very comfortable with being. I've reduced the area a little bit. So anything that follows wheat has been cancelled. Anything that's following barleys, um, we have gone in and cultivated the land and prepared dry seedbed, rolled it down with the thought process that when it rains, I can send a team of guys out to drill it 24-7 and capitalise on the moisture when it comes. I don't think we'll drill on the first moisture. We'll drill on the second rainfall event. Because my biggest concern will be is as we go out and we try and establish on that very first rainfall and it's enough to chit and make it grow, but not enough to keep it growing. And even if it doesn't die, it does leave it incredibly vulnerable to flea beetle attack. So I think as, as part of an overall strategy, that would be wrong. If you'd asked me a month ago about the latest date I would drill, I would have said, probably 7th or 8th of September. I think if you ask me that today, I might say the 15th of September because the implications to this business for not establishing rape and having to put something else in instead, not just for next year, but they're probably for the, the following year and even the year after that because it reduces the amount of wheat we grow because that's what we grow behind the, the break crop that is also rape. Alternative breaks are limited particularly on light land. So um, so I think we are keen to get it established and, and we'll wait for the moisture. Farm manager Mike Wilton. Suffolk-based Basseff agronomy manager Matt Keane says one or two growers have bitten the bullet and put seed in the ground so it's there and ahead of pests like flea beetle when the rain comes, but it's a risky strategy. The biggest gamble is having it in the ground and getting... A small amount of moisture to germinate the rape and then it becoming dry again and that of course we can't forecast very accurately the long range forecast looks still pretty dry and the worst thing with that is is patchy germination and it, it germinating and staying very small for a prolonged period and there's nothing flea beetle like more than patchy delayed emerging all seed rape and with that in mind what should growers be doing then in your opinion Although we'd like to have rape in the ground or be drilling rape as we speak, we do have quite a while for rape to be drilled and to be successful. We've seen um, in previous years, you know, right to second week of September, rape can go in the ground and do very well. It's not the norm now. That doesn't mean to say that's not right. And and given the conditions we've had recently with with the dry weather, I would say I would be waiting until we've had reasonable moisture and that we're forecast more moisture after that to keep it going the the danger with putting rape in the ground now as i say is getting patchy emergence it, it coming there and sitting at cotyledon or very small leaf and and that's like an all-you-can-eat buffet for flea beetle matt king from basseth liam wilkinson of seed breeders limograin says hybrid rape varieties could be one answer we are going to um, get some moisture late on into August or even drilling crops into the beginning of September. Speed of growth is going to be important and, you know, hybrids, you know, play a, play a big part in that. Not to say that there isn't vigour in, in some of the conventionals, but anything we can do to get the crop growing and moving quickly will be, will 
be more important. So consider hybrid varieties possibly also used biostimulants? Yes. If you've got biostimulants on the seed treatment, then then great. That's always a good good start. But it's about utilising different modes of action uh, and building blocks to, to promote the, the, the crop's growth. So interchanging mode of action, um, making sure that something foliar goes on that's different to what's been applied to the seed and really pushing that germination speed and then the, the foliar biomass growth. You know, biostimulants do help in terms of allowing a plant to to put an extra leaf out a little bit quicker uh, and if you can get the the speed of growth to be more rapid than the speed of feeding from a from a flea beetle then you you end up with success we can't solve flea beetle but if we can make a rape plant grow quicker than the flea beetle can eat it then we have a we have a bit of a chance Liam Wilkinson of Limograin. So what should you do? Earlier, I put all this advice to Farmers Weekly arable correspondent Louise MP. What's really important as far as farmers are concerned is they want to avoid this double whammy of um, flea beetle and no moisture when they're trying to get oilseed rape crops established. It's a small seed. It needs moisture. Everybody knows that. It's also a crop that really does need a good start. And again, I think everybody appreciates that now. So the overall plan is to get it to establish and escape the adult feeding, the adult flea beetle feeding damage that tends to occur in August and early September. There is something in this part of the world, it's known as the bank holiday flush. So that August bank holiday weekend is when the worst of the flea beetle damage has been done in the past. So people have been trying to avoid crop emergence then. We know that drilling dates have been getting earlier and earlier with oilseed rape, um, well, especially in, in the hotspot areas where flea beetle damage has been really bad. And I think the other point really is that if you do get even and rapid crop emergence, then it will dilute the uh, flea beetle feeding activity. So you want moisture both before and after drilling. You want good soil and trash conditions so that the crop can get away. But I think the other really important thing for this year is that While crop values are high, costs are also very high. So you still need a certain level of yield if you're going to make money from oilseed rape. That's Farmers Weekly arable correspondent Louise Impey. Cereals 360 from KWS is back. Join our virtual showground to see crop tours across all of our key varieties of barley, hybrid rye, oilseed rape and wheat. Learn as you listen to KWS experts talking for our main crop portfolio, covering yield, agronomy, end markets and disease resistance. Visit www.cereals360.co.uk to try it out for yourself. The Farmer's Weekly Podcast. You're indeed listening to the Farmer's Weekly Podcast. A very warm welcome wherever you happen to be listening to us from. It is great to have you along. I hope you are surviving in the heat. If you're listening to this just as we publish it or over the weekend, it is ridiculously hot. Johan, there is some vague hope, as you heard us mention earlier, that we may actually see some rain. The jet stream has oscillated or might oscillate on Sunday night. And if it does, it may bring a bit of rain to some uh, somewhat parched bits of the UK. Only a bit of rain, mind. 
I think we're looking at probably, what, seven mils here on the Essex-Suffolk border on uh, Tuesday and possibly into Wednesday. But yeah, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Seven mils? You don't know you're born. We, we might even get three mils in Surrey. I've got this weather app, which is really good. But what it tends to do, and I'm sure a lot of other people notice with a lot of the weather models as well, is it tends to overpromise and then massively underdeliver. So 10 days out, it'll say you're going to get seven or 10 mils and there's going to be catastrophic thunderstorms. And then as you get closer to the event, it just snatches those precious millimeters away from you. Unless, and the only caveat to that is unless it is such a rain super event, crikey, that would be good. Well, it wouldn't actually flood us all away. Unless it's such a rain, you know it's going to be a rain super event because the, the 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 projected rainfall figure doesn't change it says stays a solid 15 mil or whatever they happen to put on there yeah mine was looking really good yesterday or day before yesterday uh, where i'm in surrey was like phenomenal with three days of rain and then the last 48 hours it's just eked it back a bit although when you look at some of the i say most of the big weather models and look at how the jet stream is going to change uh then yes i, I yeah we're going to get something uh podcast at fwi.co.uk that is the email for which you can contact us from or to uh, it'd be great to hear from you emails this week johan emails this week hugh an invitation to the eden bridge and oxted agricultural show in kent this is on the 28th and the 29th of august they're saying they've got record entries to their livestock competitions with farmers and smallholders hailing not only from across the southeast but also as far afield as northumberland yorkshire Wales and even the West Country. So a great small traditional agricultural show, one of the few that's still organised by farmers and it's expected to attract around 40,000 visitors from across Surrey, Sussex, Kent and Hampshire. That's later this month. It's not a small show either, that'll tell you. I actually, I'm only down the road for that, and I actually went to it. This is really sad, isn't it? It's only taken 49 years, and I finally went along, or 48 years, finally went along uh, to it last year. And I tell you, it is a phenomenal show, and numbers of livestock, like you would not believe. So, uh, yeah, good luck to the guys uh, doing that. I hope to get along down there at some point that weekend. It's the bank holiday weekend at the end of August. Uh, Johan, what is in the magazine this week? In the magazine this week, Hugh, 116 pages of Farmers Weekly goodness from your village shop, from all good news agents and via subscription at fwi.co.uk. In the machinery section, we're looking at farmers who reap the benefits of older combine metal by hiring in their combines. In the arable section, we're looking at potatoes. Welsh growers go zero carbon with their spud crops. Also in the machinery section, there's a huge piece all about swath mergers in grassland. Obviously a bit ironic if you're in the south and all you've got is dust at the moment, uh, but I never knew there were so many on the market. Get this, there's even a self-propelled swather mergery thing. This is supposed to having big rakes that go round and round. This is the thing with a little pickup at the front and it flicks it onto a belt and then the belt shoots it along so you don't get so much contamination and in theory, you can ping along a lot faster. Anyway, in this thing, which I find completely bonkers, uh, there is a self-propelled, a 260 horsepower self-propelled merging machine, uh, which strikes me as somewhat excessive. But I suppose if you're doing a lot of merging and row making, it could be a useful bit of kit. In the livestock section, we're looking at a sheep breeder who's put £85,000 into a hill farm upgrade to demonstrate their commitment to the northern market. That's a two-page report by 
Michael Priestley. Yeah, an excellent two-page report there by Michael Priestley, Master of the Marts. Uh, well worth a read. Speaking of Marts, Hugh, the markets this week, what's happening? Thank you very much, Johan. The finished uh, deadweight average this week, 435.8. That is uh, back 4p on the week. The live weight, 240. Uh, that is back 7p on the week. To the sheep rings and lamb prices easing again this week. Uh, some s- s- significant drops, actually. Uh, if you're looking at the SQQ deadweight for the UK 525.6 that is back nearly 50p on the week live weight though moves up 252 this week up from 239.1 last week we will be talking more about land prices in a minute let's turn our attention to the arable markets feed wheat this week it firms up by two quid 243 pounds a ton uh, milling wheat also goes up five pounds exactly to 285.2 up from 280.2 last week uh, feed barley 220 £21.30. Uh, so that's up uh, just over a pound on the week. All seed rope also gains 527.60. Uh, field pea or feed peas 270. So that gains three pounds. Also three pounds on feed beans 280 pounds. Uh, lowering oil prices. See red diesel this week priced in at 99.2 pence per litre. We will be talking more about the milling wheat market as well in the minute but as i said back to the lamb rings why have these lamb prices been going down there was a big sort of blockage as it were with the lamb export trade into the continent because of all the shenanigans going on at dover the other week with french customs and those huge queues you saw all over the news that has had an impact joining me now is ted ogden from the craven cattle marts in skipton ted what's the lamb price been doing with you is it has been as been as up and down in the north as we've seen at other marts across the country well a few weeks ago we saw uh, the price drop quite sharply uh, seemed to be in response to shipping problems and such as that and we, we were around about that 260 mark prices fell to about 230 live then they quickly returned back up to 250 260 265 they're probably leveled again during the course of this week back to between 250 and 260 live weights and where do you think um, uh, sort of more sort of story hoggett lambs are? I mean, p- presumably people would start bringing store lambs out to sell this time of year and as we head into the autumn. Are you seeing much movement there? Numbers will be slightly uh, tighter at the moment this year uh, for our July and August sales. It seems that people in the north, uh, just in our area, we've got plenty of grass. They are just holding on to lambs a little bit in response to shortage of grass in the Welsh borders down the eastern counties on the A1 corridor, which are traditional areas for us to sell lambs to from Skipton. Uh, but even North Wales and the southwest as well, where buyers come from there, they're seeing that grass uh, really tight this year. It's it non-existent, really, you know. So the northern lads are just hanging on at the moment. But we have been having a nice trade fat, so they can come out with a 35-kilo uh, well-meated lamb and make towards £90 or £95, depending on its quality. So there's another option there from this year just at the moment. So on the cattle side, uh, fat cattle prices, again, we've just seen a slight easing, but, I mean, they've been pretty steady and a general ramp up right the way through the last six months, haven't they? They have been. We have a sort of uh, a retail market, really, in, in Skipton, you know, selling 550 to 650 kilo uh, U-grade. Uh, Limousine Cross British Blue cattle into local butcher shops, into local farm shops and, and, and specialist wholesalers. So we're still seeing those best animals adding up to 1,800, 2,000 pound. Odd ones can make 2,1. It's a really high quality. Once you get into a, a more uh, mainstream, high grade beast, it does seem that they're 4 or 5p less on the bid price 
out there for many of the uh, processors. But we haven't seen that in, in a change in the store cattle lineup yet. Those strong 18 months to 23 months dairy blue, limmy blue, Angus uh, uh, dairy crosses, uh, they're still really good to sell because numbers are quite tight at the moment. Suckler cows are, are disappearing from the northern hills. We're relying very much on dairy cross beef calves. Supply's tight, top and bottom of it. Supply is tight for those older animals for short-term keep. And in terms of your, your traditional autumn suckler sale of suckle calves, springborn suckle calves, you've got this trend of d- diminishing suckler numbers. Are you expecting those numbers to be back a bit again this season? We've dispersed another suckler herd this week. Uh, we've dispersed two others this spring. People are just having natural wastage as well. The cull cow price has been really good, so if there's been a cow there with a problem, or she's three-quartered or touch lamb or whatever, she tends to be going. And the price it costs to buy a replacement heifer to bull, you're talking £1,600, £1,800, that's a bit of a... Uh, a barrier for, for some people to hit. And they're picking up these young cows out of the dispersals instead, just to maybe try and maintain the number or whatever. But the general trend is far less suckler cows in the northern hills. And that's leaving people there. Rather than probably selling the suckle cows in one hit in October, the men now seem to be wanting to farm a little bit into January or February and take four or five or six to market more regularly rather than bringing 30 or 40 all in one hit. That's Ted Ogden from Skipton Market. Now, turning our attention back to the arable markets, harvest for many has been complete. For some, it has been completed for many, many weeks. Some people are, though, still combining. But one thing, whilst yields have actually, for many, been surprising, and given the weather, particularly in the south, they've been beyond expectations, one thing that does seem to be shaping up here is the fact that wheat proteins are low because of various factors. Susie Horn now joins me from the Farmers Weekly Business Desk. Susie, this low-protein wheat, there is lots of it on the market. It is going to have an impact on that market, isn't it? Yeah, on the bread-making wheats particularly and some of the biscuits wheats, I mean, things are very variable and, you know, there's a lot of wheat to go, so um, we can't sort of write the script yet, but it does seem that the Bread-making wheats are coming in about 12.5% protein, whereas the millers want 13. So that means a discount of uh, about a pound a tonne with most millers uh, on most contracts for each 0.1 below 13%. So we're looking at a five quid a tonne penalty if you can't make the 13% if you've only got 125 Having said that, obviously prices are higher than they, they were a year ago and um, – and the quality overall, we've got no problem on hagbergs or bushel weights. Um, some of the biscuit wheats are coming in particularly low in the nines when um, a lot of millers would be looking for 11 and a half. And we've just seen a slight nudging up in the the um, full spec bread making milling wheat premium, gone up about £3 a tonne this week. And I think that probably just reflects the, the, um, the fact that we've, you know, we're another week on and we've got a few more samples in. There's still some decent premiums out there if you can get them, though. Most regions are £40-45 a tonne over feed. Gloucestershire and the West Midlands, just over £50 a tonne premium. And at the moment, millers are quite they're quite well stocked. The early 
harvest caught a lot of people by surprise and a lot of merchants were still moving old crop wheat last week and clearing stores out. So millers are fairly well covered, so they're not in any rush to buy now and prices and and premiums will develop from there. So given the abundance of lower protein wheat that's out there at the moment, Susie, do you think the millers are likely to lower the bar a bit and let some lower protein product into their plants? I think that depends. I mean, most of them, as I say, on the bread making, will take it down to 12.5% protein. doesn't look like they're going to have to go any lower than that. And, And with the volume that we've got and the decent weather that we've had for harvest fingers crossed we're not going to see pouring rain before we get finished combining so as long as we don't get that there isn't going to be a big impact on the quality of the rest of the week that's still standing that's farmers weekly's business editor susie horn here at icl we're constantly searching for new ways to help farmers maximize yield while reducing their impact on the environment extensive trials have shown that autumn application of polysulfate improves nutrient uptake increases root mass and reduces environmental losses from the field. To find out more, go to polysulfate.com. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. Now, much has been said about the post-Brexit trade deals the government signed up to in recent years. Farmers and farm leaders have constantly been highlighting the potential threat to UK producers from tariff-free trade. Recently, a team from AHDB has teamed up with Harper Adams University to assess the risks to the UK industry from the New Zealand deal. Now, I'm joined now by two of the team who've been taking part. Amadeep Carperwell, he's a senior analyst at AHDB, and Sarah Baker is an agricultural economist and is the trade and policy manager at AHDB. Amadeep, is this New Zealand deal a big threat or an opportunity? There's more of a threat, I suppose, than an opportunity in, in terms of as if you know they export a vast proportion, you know, 89% of what they produce. Um, and that's gonna that's gonna go somewhere. There's always gonna be that threat there in terms of what's been agreed in the agreement in principle is that there's potential for a lot more volumes to come into the UK than we're seeing at present. What we need to take account of is that just because they, they'll be able to do that tariff free doesn't necessarily mean that they will. The trade deals that is a piece of paper, but you've got to have the supply chains or the logistics in place, and they've got really lucrative markets on their doorstep. In, in you know, China is a key example, and then other sort of um, Asia Pacific countries. So why would you want to divert all of your if you're getting if getting good getting good business and you know getting good prices in that area? Why would you want to then divert it just to UK just because you can? It's certainly an option for them, but there's no sort of real urgency for them to do so in terms of beef. There is some sort of opportunity for them to expand the amount they're sending over here and taking some of that market share of our beef inputs. But when you look at the numbers, and you've obviously looked at the numbers, Amandeep, in terms of what they're producing, I, I mean, is there any? I mean, if you know, if you totaled up all their beef production and send that into the UK, what impact would it have? And, and presumably, if it was coming into the UK, you would think, and their trade, say, to China had stopped for whatever reason or had been hindered. Presumably, they'd try and push a load of that or sell a lot of that into the rest of Europe as well. Yeah. So interestingly, we've. As we did for our analysis with the Australia trade deal, we partnered with Harper Adams University to look at the actual impact that these trade deals would have. So we did it for Australia and for New Zealand, we've gone that one step further where we can see certain circumstances such as if New Zealand lost the Chinese market for whatever reason, 
then how would that impact imports coming to the UK? So if I just take beef, for example, we're predicted around 6,000 tonnes extra coming in from New Zealand into the UK. In percentage terms, that's a big increase because we're only getting 850 tonnes roughly coming in at the moment. So that's an increase of over 700%. If, for example, the Chinese market was shut to New Zealand, they would look to divert that beef to other markets. And a lot of it would be going to the US, the model predicts, because there's a greater market share there and the, the price they will get for it, for it would be higher. We've got all of this analysis um, done looking at different scenarios within our New Zealand UK trade analysis hub on the AHDB website, which goes into a lot more detail about what different scenarios could arise. And, and Sarah, the other thing I suppose that gets talked about a lot with UK farmers and the UK farming industry when we talk about these trade deals is this whole business of equivalence of standards and production standards. And do, do you think there's a, you know, and hence the reason why they feel there should be more uh, effectively tariff protection than there is. And there isn't any in this, In this, well, there's a little bit at the beginning in this particular trade deal. Do you think that still potentially leaves us vulnerable? You have to be very careful when you talk about standards because under WTO rules, you can't use different production methods as a, as a barrier to trade. Um, you, you can't do that provided it's not detectable in the outcome. So as long as you have the same outcomes, they will do things differently. Farming is done slightly differently all, all across the, the world. As long as you know you have equivalents of outcome, you can't you can't discriminate. So you can't create trade barriers for uh, for, for different methods of production. And I think the Trade and Agricultural Commission looked very closely at this and although they found things are done very differently in New Zealand, they do have that sort of equivalence of outcome. To try and use a standard as a as a barrier to trade is a is a red herring. Uh, we can look, and there is an equivalence there on animal welfare, which is a uh, the first time that New Zealand has signed a separate animal welfare chapter within the within the deal. And I think working together to make sure that there is no regression on any of the welfare standards in either country, I think is a is a step forward. And Amandeep, when you look at the trade going the other way, are there any opportunities for UK trade back towards New Zealand? One of the opportunities maybe from this deal is that not the actual New Zealand deal in itself for the UK, but maybe it is is a stepping stone towards the CPTPP, that trade block where there are you know more emerging markets in there that the UK could take advantage of, like Malaysia, Brunei that are in there, for example. They're sort of expanding. They you know they, people be getting wealthier in there, so they've got more to ex, more to ex, um, expand their income and everything. So there's uh, certainly that's the kind of market that would I would say would give the potential for UK projects projects to go through. And then if we can get our foot into that ring, and then this helps with the accession into the CPTPP, then that is opening the doors a bit. I would say so that that's a promising thing to look at. So, Hugh, we looked at the Australia trade deal the other week. This one's looking at uh, New Zealand. Another report that says it's going to be bad for UK farmers. Well, yeah, in theory, it could be bad for UK farmers. But the main thing this report says is that if, well, at the moment, as we said before, the bulk of the product that's coming out of New Zealand is going into, for example, China. Most of it goes into China and they're buying most of it. So if the worst case scenario was to happen and the Chinese were to stop taking New Zealand product and suddenly they've got to get rid of it elsewhere, as you heard in the piece, they cited the example of beef. Uh, that would mean that the uh, volume of potential volume of beef product coming into the UK or that could be on its way to the UK could go up from a few hundred tonnes that we take at the moment up to potentially seven or 8,000 tonnes. But in reality, the way that these guys have modelled it 
it actually shows that it's more likely to go into the US because at the moment there is a really strong demand for 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 beef or for all red meat protein in the US and the pricing index is better for them to send it there than what they get currently with exchange rates and everything else if it came into the UK market. Now, that, obviously, all of this is really subjective because if the currencies change and the political situations change, it could change it again. But the reality is, I think the main theme of this report is the markets they've got fairly big and established where they're going, either Chinese market, yes, there are other markets they serve like the American market, and the likelihood of them shifting out to come and chase ours, it would have to be a really bad day uh, and everyone had shut up shop to them that they're going to suddenly start flooding us. And and that is the, is, the, is the key thing here. You can never say never, but the likelihood is at the moment it's not likely to happen. The right variety for the right situation. Our variety sustainability ratings provide an unbiased way of comparing the overall robustness and resilience of different varieties. Using this data, we can help you select the most suitable variety for your farm, reducing risk, increasing efficiency and maximising the potential of your crop. View our autumn seed yearbook at agri.co.uk forward slash seed. The Farmers Weekly Podcast. And finally, farmers are helping to tackle field fires using bowsers and sprayers to supply water to fire engines. It's with the help of a special adapter which connects bowsers directly to the engines, so firefighters have 10 times the usual amount of water. Lincolnshire Farm Manager Ian Watson from Louth Park Farm takes up the story. We've got an adapter that will fit a standard two-inch camlock sprayer tank or sprayer hose or water tank or spray support bowser really is the main aim that then connects to the back of any fire appliance within lincolnshire on the standard fire appliance fitting so that we can in the event of any large-scale farm fire connect water bowser for example 15 20 000 litres of water to the fire appliance most of the fire appliances in lincolnshire standard hold about 1500 litres of water so that increases obviously tenfold what water they have gives them much more time in the event of a rural fire to get resources and everything geared up to, to tackle any large-scale farm fire. Now, this came from a background of a large farm fire on the outskirts of Louth in 2019. Uh, massive fire, multiple appliances there, three fire appliances on site, one phone call as the farm network in the area all rang everybody up there was over 800 head of cattle removed from that farm within three hours and then other farmers we were bringing water supply onto the farm trying to connect to appliances we were having to go through ibcs and using portable pumps and it soon became apparent that we needed something much better so we made a, a, a blacksmith farm workshop version um, and we tested it with the guys from the Louth fire station that came to the farm and we cooked it up soon became apparent that it was going to be successful so now uh, Louth and Alford NFU members and East Midlands NFU have paid uh, for multiple adapt for all these adapters to be placed on fire appliances throughout Lincolnshire it becomes a fire service piece of equipment it has their barcode on it they look after it they make sure it's going to work in order part of their daily checks twice daily checks for many they do so that it's there all the time 
um, so we can support them. They know where they're, we know they're there. And the point of today is we're talking to farmers today to say, look, this is what we can do now to get to the stage where you probably don't need any water tank support, but this is what we're trying to achieve is to get, to get a network of farmers in our area to work with fire, Lancashire Fire and Rescue to support them with farm fires. And miss, you know, any farm fire, fortunately touch wood. I've never been victim of one or had to one, but you know, the initial thought of a fire, the farmer's there, the fire appliance turns up. He thinks that's his silver bullet. Everything's going to be cured. They have their job to do in their way the farmer wants it probably do in a different way and the ultimate goal of this project is that we want to have farmers being the liaison between fire rescue and the farmer at the event of any big fire to take the emotion out of it to allow the guys to get the resources in line to fight the fire to get more water brought on with other farmers within the network and to ensure that everybody is safe that is the key is saving lives as farm manager ian watson Jamie Patton from Louth Fire Station says the connector is massively helpful. Very simple in its design, its application, like most great inventions are. If you imagine uh, first fire appliance turns up, it's got 1,400 litres of water in its truck. If you imagine we've got this simple adapter now, we can connect straight into a 15,000 litre static tank. That's going to make a massive amount of difference. In terms of time, it's all about time. So you imagine the quicker we can do something, the less impact that's going to have. And that's what it's about. It may, you may be saving a couple of three minutes here or there, but if you think about it, those couple of three minutes here and there, they can make a massive difference in terms of fire spread and fire damage. And would you envisage it being on every fire engine? Yes, it will be. One of these adapters will be on every whole time appliance throughout Lincolnshire and at certain um, strategically placed on-call stations. Very simple. Simple to use, simple to test, simple to maintain, keep clean. Uh, yeah, really, really useful piece of kit. That's Jamie Patton, station manager at Louth Fire Station. Yeah, and this is a really good idea. It's a really simple idea, isn't it? When you think about it, like all oh, good ideas, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's um, not only happening in Lincolnshire. I heard this week that farmers in, and firefighters in Hertfordshire are also using similar devices to connect these bowsers and sprayers to fire engines, which is especially important at the moment with the dry weather. Next week's podcast, Johan, what have we got coming up? Next week, Hugh, we're going to be looking at the uh, situation in Ireland, greenhouse gas emissions and the need to reduce those and the likely impact on the livestock sector. And we'll also be talking to the leader of the Farmers Party in Holland. Uh, She's going to come on the podcast and tell us about what she's doing uh, with that party and also with all the protests that are going on in Holland, what is happening there. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you can. It is podcast at fwi.co.uk that's podcast at fwi.co.uk it'll be great to hear from you please do send us an email but in the meantime this has been the Farmers Weekly Podcast I'm Hugh Broom until next week goodbye I'm Johan Tasker goodbye <laughs>